Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever needed to do those pesky PPD tests? You know, if you were enrolling in school or if you work at a healthcare facility or if you want to work at a daycare or any of the above, you often need to do these what we call screening tests to see if you've ever been exposed to tuberculosis. And, you know, sometimes those tests give us really good information and sometimes not so much. And it's all about testing the right folks. So today we are joined by TB Branch Chief, Dr. Elizabeth McNeil, and she is here to tell us some more about how to know who should be tested. And in addition, are there some rules that might change soon about how we need to take a look at not just doing the test on everyone, but really trying to risk stratify who would be best served by checking for this infection and who really would not be served by it because of the potential that they might get a what we call a false positive test result. So without further ado, welcome back, because you've been here before, to I The have. Body Show. Thank you. Dr. McNeil, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. TB, why should I worry? What are the complications if you have TB and you don't do anything about it? Does it always cause problems or should I not even bother worrying about it? Well, I always think it is a good thing to worry about. That's that's why I have the job I do. <laughs> so, TB branch chief queen, okay. And actually in the world, TB is the leading cause of infectious death. So TB across the world kills about one and a half to two million people every year. So it is a serious problem. And up until about the 1950s or so, it it was also a problem in the United States and in Hawaii. Since that time, we've had very effective medications. We can cure TB. We can make people so they're no longer contagious. And so the numbers have dropped. Now, TB is a fairly small state. We have about 130 cases of active TB disease every year in the state of Hawaii. Turns out that if you look at our rate, the number of cases for our population, we have three times the rate that the average uh, in the rest of the United States has. But that's not too different than a lot of our metropolitan areas on the mainland or areas that have a lot of folks that come from countries where TB is more common. TB is kind of sneaky. Um, It can lie in the body for months or even years. About 1 in 10 people with the TB germ in their bodies will eventually get sick with active TB disease, and those people can become contagious. We don't have real good tests for people who just have the germ in their body and are not sick. They don't look funny, their x-rays look normal, they don't have symptoms, they're not contagious, but these folks can go on to become sick later with TB. What do we do? Well, when TB was very common, we said everybody needs to be tested for this TB infection, and the test we had at that time, the best test we had, was the skin test, and it's not perfect. What would be great is if we could catch the germ and test the germ, but we can't do that. So we use indirect tests, and they look at your body's immune system reacting to proteins from TB germs and saying, does your immune system react? Has your immune system seen the germ before? If it did, you must have had TB infection or have TB infection. Now, the problem is, is that any test you use, no matter how accurate it is, if you use it in people who 
haven't had a chance to catch TB, are not at risk for TB, you can still get positive tests. And so we've tested lots of low-risk individuals. The TB we see in Hawaii now is not widespread. It's not a risk to the general population. It takes very close, prolonged exposure to somebody with TB, like living with somebody, to catch the TB germ from them. And so we really pretty much can predict who's at risk and who's not at risk. So we're moving toward what the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Centers for Disease Control, the U.S. Preventive Task Force, the American Thoracic Society, everybody in their brother who has been involved with TB has said, we don't recommend widespread testing of entire populations like all school kids. We recommend that you focus your testing and all of your efforts and money and manpower on testing high-risk individuals, risk groups. And that's really a good idea. You, you test kids that are not at risk. You're going to see false positives. You're going to cause a lot of parental worry. You're going to cause unnecessary x-rays to make sure they're not sick with TB. You're going to put them on antibiotics, sometimes for nine months, that they probably don't need. We, I looked it up, um, did a statistical program, and if you looked at 18-year-olds enrolling in college, they are all supposed to be tested in Hawaii. But if, a, if an 18-year-old was born in the U.S., no health problems, no travel or lived in countries where TB is more common, uh, doesn't, have in, doesn't smoke or have health problems to make them at greater risk of getting sick with TB, and has a 10-millimeter skin test, which we call positive in Hawaii, there's only a 23% chance that they actually have the germ. So if I tested four 18-year-olds just like that, only one of them, and they had positive tests, only one of them might have the TB infection. So I've, I've made three other kids take medicine and take x-rays who didn't need it. So we're, we're moving toward this idea of focusing our screening on folks who have risks of being exposed to the TB germ or have symptoms uh, that are suspicious for TB disease. So let's talk about those individuals and those risk groups. So when you risk stratify folks, when you say, yes, this is someone who could be at risk, there are certain criteria that you would use to determine that. What would those criteria be? You've alluded to some of those. If you were born in another country, if you've traveled to another country for more than four weeks in a lifetime, really, it would have to, you know, your whole life, you would potentially have been exposed to the bacteria. Who locally would we be and I, don't, I hate to say the word targeting because we don't want to make it sound punitive, but right. who in our local communities would we be looking at as potentially being in a higher risk group? Are we dealing mainly with immigration, immigrant populations? Are we dealing with homeless populations? Are we looking at certain categories of folks? And if so, how do we, how do we know who they are? Okay. That, and that's exactly what we we're, want to talk about today. So the biggest risk of having TB infection is having spent time in areas where TB is very, very common. So we're talking about a lot of places um, outside of the United States. And it's just about everywhere except for the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Western and Northern Europe. So if, Philippines, if you were born or lived in the Southeast Philippines, Asia, exactly. Japan, China, China, India, Latin America, 
the other Pacific islands. So living there, having been born there, spending time there, um, and we're not talking about somebody who's gone on a tour and stayed in Western hotels in China. We're talking about somebody who um, spent time in, in towns with local folks, that kind of thing. So spending time being born in those areas um, or, and for kids, where the other marker, the other th- risk thing that we think about for kids is having someone in the household who's from those areas. And that's partly because kids will often visit relatives back in the country where where their family members are from, or they have visitors that come from those areas and spend time with the family. So that's that's a risk group as well. Well, I want to hear more about some of the other risk categories because so far sounds like I'm in one. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. (laughs) We will be right back. We're talking with TB Branch Chief Dr. Elizabeth McNeil. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how we identify these risk groups. We just talked about geography. We talked about living environment. There are some other issues we have to take into consideration if we're looking at screening certain populations. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter-Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Elizabeth McNeil. She is the TB branch chief. She is the queen of TB. And so far, I've determined that I am in a risk category because, you know, I asked you earlier who would be the person at risk. And if it's if you were born in another country or if you have someone you're living with who was born in that country or or has symptoms of TB or if you've lived somewhere for four weeks. So I've spent time in Africa more than four weeks, time in India, more than four weeks. So, so far, I'm checking yes on your screening sheet. So what else would be another potential risk factor that would put me at an even higher risk? I'm not a smoker, so I'll say that, so I'm not. I am a healthcare worker, and and I've treated people with TB. And that's a group where the rules are not going to change very much. Most healthcare workers still need to be tested when they've been hired. And uh, they also usually, depending on their risks, also need to be tested annually. And for some folks, like I obviously work in a tuberculosis clinic seeing TB patients, I get tested every six months. So for healthcare workers, that's not going to change too much. Also, patients who are being admitted to long-term care facilities, hospice centers, long uh, nursing homes, things like that, those folks will still need to be TB tested as well. There's a, a risk for TB exposure in those settings. So now let's talk about those long-term care facilities, because not only do they test people once, they often do what we call a two-step TB test. Why do we do two steps? What, one isn't good enough? Why do we have to do two? Yeah, it's a good question, and there's a lot of confusion about two steps. Um, Sometimes when your exposure to TB was years and years and years before, your immune system is very thrifty, and it stops fighting TB germs because, yeah, I haven't seen it. You know, I'm going to, antibodies and cells are going to relax a little bit. So that first TB test is almost like a booster shot, and the body wakes up and says, oh, my goodness, there's TB around here. I better start start arming and getting ready for it. And then when you do the second test, if somebody's immunity was just sort of getting lazy, you'll see a positive test the second time. It's very common for folks 
uh, who were maybe born in the Philippines but came here as young adults. Now they're 80 years old and they're going to a long-term care facility. Their body hasn't been around TB for decades, and so we do the two-step. But the other reason why we do the two-step is that it's for folks that are going to have regular ongoing testing. If I test a, a new nurse and just do one test, it's negative. Next year she gets another test, it's positive. I don't know whether the first one was a booster and she might have been positive with a two-step or whether she got exposed to TB in that first year of work. And that's that's why we want to distinguish that. We want to make sure that we're not, we're not over... Um, getting overly excited about a possible exposure that really didn't happen or really identify those folks that did get an exposure at work and and look at where we need to improve our safety and infection control. So let's myth bust a little bit. I'd love to uh, have a chance to do that. If you do the first PPD test of your two-step, it is not going to make your second step positive. It's not like you're injecting a bacteria in someone and then saying two weeks later, oh, look, we injected the bacteria. We're seeing a response because we did the injection two weeks ago. There's not a possibility that doing a step, doing the first step of a PPD is going to infect someone with TB. It will not infect somebody with TB. It's not bro- possible. broken up little tiny pieces. And there's been... Can't happen. No serious side effects with the skin test either. You know, people are often concerned about immunizations and side effects. Uh, TB skin test solution is very, very different. Uh, There's nothing alive in there. It's just broken up proteins that you might find in a TB germ. But there's some similarity in those proteins and other similar germs to TB called non-TB mycobacterium. And there's also similarities between these TB proteins and the bacteria that's used in countries where TB is more common called the BCG. So let's talk about our next deal, (laughs) which is, you know, and I have it written down here, BCG, because some people will say, I got the BCG vaccine, so I will always be positive with my TB test. And yet, Some care homes will say, don't care, still want to get your PPD done, still want to get a two-step. So ignoring that little glitch of having to do it for care facilities, what is BCG and why does it cross-react? And if you have someone who was born in another country, how do we know if they might have just gotten the vaccine and they don't recall it and now we're testing men, they're positive. You opened up the can of worms, Dr. <laughs> I McNeil. Did. I did, and it's a good one. Explain the because worms. Because we will segue into the blood test from there. Um, BCG is a vaccine. It's uh, a bacterial. It's actually a live vaccine. The bacteria is alive, and it's primarily used in other parts of the world to protect babies from disseminated TB. In other words, TB that just goes all over the place, including the brain and bones and all sorts of stuff. It doesn't keep people from getting TB infection or TB disease later on, but it seems to help kids early on from really serious TB complications. Um, It's also used to treat some cancers because it does rev up the immune system, so bladder cancer. So we sometimes get reports of, oh, my gosh, this person might have TB of the bladder, and it turns out to be the BCG. They, they grow very similarly. Um, 
for for many many years since I've been in medical school, which is lifetimes ago, CDC and the and and most of us have been trained to say yes. BCG might cause a positive skin test, but ignore it and treat that person as though that's a true positive test. Um, and that's there's reasons behind that. You got the BCG vaccine because you were born and or living in a place where TB is more common. You're therefore more common to have a true positive test. And the skin test often is does not stay positive for very long. Uh, but some countries give boosters. So in Japan, they were boostering, giving at birth, giving at school entry, giving later on in school. So kids might have three or more doses of BCG. Um, but now we're beginning to realize that other things like these non-TB mycobacteria that we have quite a few of here in Hawaii and prior BCG vaccines might cause some weird TB skin test results, maybe 10 millimeters, maybe even those 15 millimeter measurements, a little bit bigger. We're not sure. So what do we do? Do we treat them? Well, we have another option. Okay. And I think the health department is going to continue to do skin tests. It's the most logical way for us to do and most responsible with taxpayers' monies. And a lot of health care facilities have also continued to use the skin test instead of the blood test, and there's some other reasons for that as well. The blood test, and there's two of them out there on the market right now, but only one commercially available here in Hawaii, and that's the Quantifuron Gold Test. Um, it's not licensed or approved for children under five at the present time. We're not sure how it performs for children. But if you get a positive result with a quantifiron, it's not from BCG. It has been fine-tuned so that the things it looks for are not, re- not related, don't cross-react with, with what your immune system might do because of a BCG vaccine. It's still an indirect test. It's still measuring your immune system's reaction to some proteins, seeing how much of a reaction you get. Uh, it can be negative when somebody who's got terrible TB gets tested. Um, so some people think it's a test for active TB disease, but I've actually seen negative blood tests, quantifiron results in people that are sick with TB. It also can be negative when somebody's immune compromised, as can the skin test. Um, and there's some folks who, even if you test the same specimen a little bit later, you'll get different results. So it's very finicky. The blood has to be handled very, very quickly. It's like three or four tubes of blood, depending on the test. Um, It only can be performed certain days here in Hawaii. Um, Not always available on neighbor islands because of the handling that has to be. And the other thing is it's quite expensive. And some healthcare workers have a test result that one year is positive, the next year negative, then it's positive, then it's negative. And those medical centers have decided to stick with TB skin tests. All right, just to confuse it even <laughs> just more. To confuse it even just more. to confuse it even there more. There is no perfect test, unfortunately. But it gives us another tool. So if a child immunized in the Philippines comes here and they're three years old going to daycare, they get a TB skin test, it's positive. Should we treat them? Depends. 
Did they live with grandma in the Philippines and grandma had active TB? Heck yes, I think I would probably give that child medicine. But no, 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 no exposures. And their uh, quantiferon blood test was done and it's negative, then I would probably say not treat the child. But because they had a positive skin test, I still would like an x-ray because the worst thing would be is to miss active TB disease. All right. We are going to hopefully help to explain the reality of people who get positive tests and how we're going to maybe refine who we test to decrease the number of false positives in the very near future. We'll be right back after this quick break. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak with Dr. Elizabeth McNeil. McNeil. I'm going to get it right one of these times. (laughs) TV Branch Chief will be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Nohea Gallery, and Straub Medical Center. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, here with our TB Branch Chief, Dr. Elizabeth McNeil, and we're talking about tuberculosis. So let's go through a couple of little scenarios. So what's going to happen in the future is we're going to target who we actually do testing for. So let's presume we've done our targeting. We do a test. TB test, skin test, is positive. Is the next step for everyone to do the quantiferon gold testing? No, the first step would be to do that x-ray. Make so sure step one is sick. do an x-ray. Yeah. And the reason we do an x-ray is because TB is contagious, and usually you get it through coughing or sputum. So if your x-ray shows a problem, then we know you could be contagious. We need to treat you. If your yeah. x-ray is negative, then what is that when we do the blood test? We might. We might. Okay. Well, what we'd really do is what's what's helpful now with this proposed rule change, I'm also changing the information that we collect on folks that come into one of our public health nursing offices or Lana Kila. And um, that's going to help us decide what this person's risk is of TB infection and the risk of going on to getting active infectious TB disease. And that'll do, that'll help us decide whether, whether we stick with the skin test and recommend treatment or whether we go on to other testing. Usually the blood tests are recommended if you really feel that this person has is unlikely to have TB infection. Yeah. So if I have somebody, for example, that's going on uh, immune-suppressing medication like for rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, those people's immune systems, if they have the TB infection in their body, very likely to get sick. I'm probably going to take that positive skin test result and recommend treatment for them. Yeah. So we're risk stratifying who we test. And then once we get the test result, we're also risk stratifying who we treat if their x-ray is negative. Again, if the x-ray is positive, the answer is pretty straightforward. But if the x-ray is negative, so now we're doing a secondary risk stratification to determine who would be most appropriate to do additional testing or have something in their history that would suggest that they ought to consider treatment. And the treatment we've alluded to earlier could be up to nine months of antibiotics. So when people get a positive skin test and they have these other risk factors, we shouldn't really suggest that they've been, quote, exposed to TB, we should really clarify it because that means that they actually have an infection of TB. Right. And the treatment is treatment. We're treating and killing a germ. It's not prevention 
Um, it is actual treatment of an infection that's in your body. And we used to think, you know, when people think infection, they go, oh, I take antibiotics for a few days, I'm cured. The reason that people need to treat it for an extended duration of time is because the TB bacteria grows very slowly. It grows really slowly. This is one of the laziest, sneakiest germs there is. Um, it takes usually people months before, at, at the start of their illness before they even notice that they're sick. Their x-ray usually looks worse than they do. And so these very slow-growing germs are the ones that take longer. But we're moving away from the INH nine-month medication. And for years now, uh, the Lanakila doctors have really um, enjoyed prescribing a different medication that usually works in just four months. There's another regimen out there where you take a combination of pills once a week for 12 weeks. And we're going to start looking at um, another form of one of those medicines taken daily for just six weeks. So the reason we're trying to shorten the duration is because does that lend to greater compliance? Oh, yeah. And less chance of resistance. Exactly. And Dr. Kozak is my doctor, I'll have to admit here. And when she prescribes a course of antibiotics for me, I try and be really, really good about taking them. But I've admitted to her and my patients that sometimes I don't do that. And we, we know most of us are that way. Full confession, disclosure. Disclosure, <laughs> disclosure. So we know that... Um, Taking the medication is difficult uh, for a lot of folks, especially when you're, you're not feeling sick. Why am I taking this medicine? And so we need, you know, we're, we're asking the, the scientists up there to come up with better tests for us, better medication, shorter, shorter treatment regimens to really help us knock down TB. Now, if you are on active treatment for TB because you've been determined to have the infection with a negative chest x-ray, when you go home, are you contagious to your family members? You're not. And that's one reason why we still want you to take the medicine. So, um, you know, if you stay healthy, if you knock out your TB infection, you're not going to get sick. And then, then they won't get sick. They won't get sick. Now, if you have a positive chest x-ray and you have what is determined to be active pulmonary tuberculosis and you're on treatment, are you infectious or contagious to your family? You can be. And the other thing is, is that TB can go anywhere in the body. It's incredible. Goes, yeah, there's weird situations where I remember from medical school, like POTS disease. It goes yes. to your lumbar spine. Oh. Years later, it's like, how did this get Horrible. in here? I had go. a lady who was paralyzed from TB, and it's amazing. We treated her TB. Some people require surgery in their spine. She didn't. She, uh, she, she was wheeled into the exam room after about six months of treatment and says, Doctor, I want to show you something. And she stood up. Isn't that incredible? She had I been love paralyzed when that for years. But, you know, we have seen it in the brain. And unfortunately, we've seen some very young children who had it in their brain eyes, throat, lymph nodes, liver. It's a leading cause of infertility in the world. So we can see it in your intestines, in, in reproductive organs like the uterus and the ovaries. So, Ankle, ankle joints, uh, finger bones, so an amazing organism. And people who only have it in the bone or only have it in the intestinal tract are not contagious. But often people who have it in other parts of their body still have it in their lungs as well. So we always look for that. 
So it could actually, if you think you're treating it and you don't think that it's in your lungs, but you may actually, it could actually be there. So the general message is do the screening if you need to. If you do the screening and you're at a high-risk situation, then you will probably need treatment if you are positive with some sort of confirmatory testing if needed, and that we should really take this seriously because, you know, I know, and you you admitted some guilt, I'll admit some guilt, <laughs> they have to chase me down to do my skin test every time. <laughs> the employee health department knows, find Kozak, she's going to try and avoid you, just go there with the skin test, inject it. And you're good. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us. We've both admitted our own noncompliance. We're going to get better. I swear we're going to do better. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast on hawaiipublicradio.org, or you can head to the HPR app. Thank you again to TB Branch Chief Dr. Elizabeth McNeil for sharing with us the information today. And I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Our engineer is David Chong. We will see you next Monday right here at 6.30 p.m. on HPR 1 listening to The Body Show.